0: Let me pray uh, for us before we get into God's word, and then uh, and then we'll listen to what He has to say. Amen. <clears throat> Father God, thank you for um, thank you for another day of life. Thank you, God, that you love us the way you do. Thank you for the opportunity we have to gather around your table and as has been mentioned, to recognize the victory that Christ Jesus provides for us. That the blood of Christ cleanses us from our sin um, and offers the same cleansing for everyone in the world. Uh, What an amazing sacrifice, God. Uh, And not just a sacrifice, but also an example of how to live our lives. Uh, I'm grateful for that, Father. Father, we gather as imperfect people uh, we all bring baggage to the table. There are people here who've lost loved ones in recent days. They need your peace and they need your comfort. God, you've been faithful and we ask that you'll be faithful again. There are some that are not with us because they're ill, um, they can't be with us for whatever reason. We play a blessing upon their lives. God, there's some here that are struggling with relationships and there's a in this room, because we are perfect or we are imperfect people in an imperfect world, and I just pray that you would um, begin even now to resolve some of those those issues and where there are deep scars, God, that you will that you will heal those scars. For those of us who don't think that we need a savior, for those of us who don't think we need a healer, I pray most of all. That you will correct us, that you will allow us to respond, that we'll receive your grace and your love and your mercy, that we'll see us for, see ourselves for who we are, and we'll remember the sacrifice that's been paid. I pray that you would eliminate distractions, God, as we open your word, allow us to see what you would have us to see, allow us to hear what you would have us to hear. Allow us to respond, not just in the next few minutes, but for the rest of our lives. the power of Christ, I pray. Amen. Hey, would you grab your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians. Um, The book of 2 Corinthians, or the letter, I should say, 2 Corinthians, we're going to be in chapter 5. We'll be here for the next couple of weeks, chapter 5 and 6. My plan today is to get through the end of chapter 5, and then we'll pick it up again next week with chapter 6. Here at Hillcrest, we've been in a series called Grow, um, and the idea is that we just don't receive Jesus Christ as Savior, but we are told in Scripture we want to make Him the Lord of our lives. In other words, when we understand the Gospel, when we understand what takes place by God sending His only Son and offering the sacrifice that we've talked about, there's something more than just being a consumer of salvation. There's something more that we're responsible for. And that's called discipleship around the church. It's not... It's not healthy to see a child uh, stay like a child. We would all question that. We would all say there's, there's, we need to go to the doctor, right? When you think about that spiritually, it's not right that someone who comes to Christ as a babe in Christ stays a babe in Christ. And so we're talking about discipleship. We're talking about growing up into Christ. We're talking about becoming the mature people that God wants us to be. We're talking about getting off the milk and moving toward the meat. Does that make sense? So let me ask you to think about a term that I've been thinking about the last few weeks, and that is self-concept. When I use the word self-concept or the phrase self-concept, what do you think of? How do you... How do you see yourself? If you look in the mirror, do you make up things about yourself? Do you say, well, I, I'm a pretty good individual. I'm a pretty good person. I, I would give the shirt off my back for other people. Do you play the comparison game? Do you compare yourself to other people, especially those people that you know who are a little bit behind the times or somebody that you can always, you know, kind of trump? Is that the way it happens? I think all too often, if we look in the mirror, we're unrealistic. Are we not? I and mean, We see the things we want to see. Is that fair? But for those of us who have matured, for those of us who have gotten to a place um, spiritually where we can honestly look in the mirror or we can reflect on who we really are, and if you're going to compare yourself to anybody, we ought to compare ourselves to Jesus Christ, right? The one who has taught, told us that he's the author, the perfecter of our faith. So that idea of self-concept is huge. And I think sometimes our identity is misdefined because we don't recognize what reality is when it comes to us. In other words, we're not honest with ourselves, therefore we can't be honest with God or we won't be honest with God and we can't be honest with those around us. So how do you see yourself? When I ask people sometimes when I meet them, tell me about yourself. And they'll say, well, I'm a plumber or I'm a carpenter, or I'm a teacher, or I'm a... said, no, no, I didn't ask you what you did. I said, tell me about yourself. You hear the difference? right? And for those of us who have been followers of Jesus Christ, your identity has changed. You'll remember that Paul says, it is no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. Right? Those of us on Wednesday night have been over here meeting on, on Wednesday nights, and we've been talking about Hebrews, and the writer of Hebrews, and even before that, Paul in Romans, says that we ought to associate ourselves with Jesus Christ. It's it's that I've removed my identity, and Christ's identity has become who I am. Right? There's something that happens when we're baptized. There's something that happens when we die to self, Paul would say, and we're risen to walk in a newness of life. That That idea is going on here in second Corinthians, if you're not familiar with the backstory of the Corinthian church, it's a messed up church. Can anybody identify with a messed up church? Can anybody identify with messed up people right um, yeah, you're honest right that's who we are okay and so Paul is addressing this really dysfunctional church, really dysfunctional people who gather around and perhaps even do some of the things that we've done, but he reminds them about their self-identity. He reminds them of the Gospel. And what's so interesting about the Gospel, what's so amazing about the Gospel, what's so beautiful about the Gospel, is yes, we are broken people, but God doesn't want us to remain broken. God doesn't want us to remain divided from God. So let me take you back to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 in your mind. God creates and it is good. God creates and it is good. God creates and it is good. We get to day 6 and God creates mankind and it is very good, right? The way way things are are the way things are supposed to be. And then we get to chapter 3 and everything goes south, right? Adam and Eve, we, we blame our ancestors. Adam and Eve eat from the tree in the garden and everything goes south. They're banished from the presence of God. There's no more walking in the coolness of day with God. When you eat of the tree, you will surely die. You will surely be separated from God. You will surely experience this brokenness, this dysfunction. And you remember what happens when God comes to the garden and He knows what's happened with Adam and Eve. And He says, where are you? And Adam responds with, our eyes were opened. And we were naked, and so we hid the lack of transparency. Everybody understand, right? It was never intended that way. And instead of things being good or very good in chapters 1 and chapter 2, now we have this severing of relationship. God banishes them as He said He would do from the garden. They're no longer in His presence, and there's this flaming sword that passes back and forth. Does everybody understand? We get the story of the Israelites throughout the Old Testament as we've talked about over and over again. And we'll look at a text here in just a few moments about the Israelites. But from the time that Abraham comes on the scene all the way through the end of the book of Malachi, right? God is responding to this relationship with this people group called the Israelites. And He's asking them to be restored, be reconciled, come back to God, come back to God, come back to God. And God always displays His faithfulness. And the Israelites always display their unfaithfulness. We recognize the brokenness in the world, but not the brokenness in God, right? It's the brokenness in people. It's the brokenness that come from the ancestry of Adam and Eve. It's you and I. In other words, if it wasn't Adam and Eve, it would be me. It would be you. We get to the New Testament, and we have people like Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus shows up on the scene. And if this is not a great illustration of what God wants in relationship, I don't know what is, right? This is the best illustration that God wants relationship with us, that He sends His Son and His only Son, the one in whom He loves. Right? And Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, comes and lives among us it shows us what it means to have this relationship that God intended all the way back in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. If it wasn't for Adam and Eve, it would be you and I. If it wasn't for Judas Iscariot, it would be, it would be you and I. Right? There's still this brokenness that happens even in the New Testament, right? Those of you who have been around the church for any time at all know that God hanging on the cross, what always amazes me, right? Every time that somebody gets up and gives a communion meditation or points our direction, gets our reflection back upon what really happens, the great miracle that happens at the cross, right? That Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, is hanging there, not just for their benefit, not for the benefit of the Jews, not for the benefit of the Romans, they're all included, but for your benefit, for my benefit, for the benefit of the whole world is that amazing? Right? I was reading earlier this morning a text from Luke where there's nothing that he's done wrong and they're still clamoring, crucify him. Crucify him. Even Pilate comes out and says, I find no fault in this man. And they get louder and louder, crucify him, crucify him, right? Well, what should I do with this robber over here? What should I do with this murderer over here? What, what should I... And they're after Jesus. Crucify Him. they're, They're not going to stop until they get what they want. And Luke goes on in that text to say, and they got what they want. The crucifixion of God Himself. Yet that wasn't the end. Three days later, of course, Jesus Christ rises from the dead. It's a celebration we have every time that we gather at Easter. It should be a Celebration we have every day, right? Where he overcame death, as we talked about. He's victorious over death. This is the gospel, right? We still have this tension between the spiritual things that we know, right? And the flesh that causes us to go astray. And there's still this tension in the church in Corinth that Paul is writing to. Paul recognized the tension in his own life in Romans chapter 7. And he recognizes the tension in the church in Corinth who are, have one foot in the kingdom. Right, They're recognizing God at times of worship. And they're also recognizing all these other gods. There's, they're polytheistic. Right, There's all this other stuff going on, whether it's things of, of wood or stone or Artemis Temple over here or this and that over here or even narcissism. Right, It's no different than our world today. And Paul is speaking into their lives and he's reminding them of who they are. And I think sometimes the problem that we have is not society. We can't blame society anymore. We can't blame the world anymore. We have to look in the mirror. We have to be honest with ourselves. We have to be honest with God. We have to be honest with each other and say we're broken individuals in need of a Savior. And the good news, the Gospel is, That God loves us despite who we are. So I want to read a couple of verses here for you and point your attention to a couple things. Remember, Paul is talking to the church. He's not talking to unbelievers. They all know what Paul is talking about. They all sense the tension in the room. They they all recognize they're broken individuals. Paul is not talking to unbelievers. This is not an evangelistic message. In fact, If you don't know the book of Corinthians, he says this this cross that we've just talked about, this would be foolishness to those who don't believe. They wouldn't understand it. But for those of us who do understand the cross, for those of us who are seeking, who who need some kind of hope amidst this brokenness, then I'm here to tell you your, your hope is found in Jesus Christ. Your hope is found in the cross. Your hope is found in the resurrection. And Paul reminds the Corinthians, and I want to remind you this morning, I want to remind myself this is what God is all about. This is love unmatched. Thank You, Jesus. Amen. Listen to what He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. From now on, therefore, church. Listen. From now on, therefore, church, we regard no one according to the flesh, He says. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What? If anyone is in Christ, now if you know Paul, you know that's a key phrase throughout the Pauline epistles. In Christ. For those in Christ. Notice what he says. For those of us in Christ, we we are a new creation. We'll come back to that. we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. My friends, that is the gospel. That is the good news. I want to remind you about your identity this morning I, I want to just three short points about who you are as long as you've met Jesus and if you haven't met Jesus I'm not talking about knowing about Jesus I'm talking about knowing Jesus intimately I'm having a re- relationship with Jesus that's what we're talking about right so three three things that I think Paul points out to here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that Not only the Corinthian church should be aware of, but we should be aware of. We should be reminded of. The first is found at the end of the text that we just read in verse 21. Notice it again. For our sake, church, for our sake, believer, for our sake, those who associate themselves with Jesus Christ, those who have not only walked the aisle, as we've talked about, not only got into the baptistry, No, for those who have died to self and been risen to walk in a newness of life, for those of us who have gone through all of those things, for those of us who who associate ourselves daily with Christ. That's who he's talking to. For our sake, he made Jesus. Catch that? God made Jesus to be sin. What? I don't know about you, but... Every time I read that text, I'm thinking, man, that seems pretty simple to say that's a big deal. It's not just Jesus Christ taking your sins upon his shoulders. I was raised in a church where, I think I've mentioned it here before, where I I was told that Jesus took my sin upon his shoulders. And I don't blame anybody for teaching me that, um, because I think that's what they understood. But what Paul just says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 it's more than that. That God made Jesus sin. That's a difference, right? There's a difference between Jesus taking my sin upon him and God making Jesus sin. Do you understand that? There's a, there's a huge difference there, right? But, but notice what he says it's not just making him sin, right? Here's the the end result. For our sake, you hear that? For our sake, for the gospel to be good news, for the only hope that we have in Jesus Christ, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. This perfect sacrifice. Think back with me, if you will, to the Old Testament sacrificial system where they're told to take a sheep or a goat or some kind of sacrifice that is unblemished. Yeah, right. There's nothing that's unblemished that's in creation. The difference is, we're not talking about one who is in creation, we're talking about the Creator, Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb. If you look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and following and several other texts, we recognize that Jesus was at creation, and not only at creation, that all things were created through Him and for Him, and He holds all things together. That's the God we're talking about, right? This is God in the flesh. This is Emmanuel. This is the perfect sacrifice. This is truly the sacrifice that is unblemished. And for the Gospel to hold any weight at all, for it to be good news, church, It has to be the perfect sacrifice. It has to be God hanging on the cross. That's what makes it the Gospel. That's huge. That's a big deal. This is not just a holy man. This is not just a good rabbi. This is God in the flesh who says things like, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is the One who says, I can call down legions of angels to take me off this cross. This is the one in the garden who says, yet not my will, but yours be done. This is the example that Paul uses in Philippians chapter 2 where he says, church, we should have the mind of Christ. We should be a, those of you in Bible study, we should be a doulos. We should be a servant. We should be a bondservant just like Jesus was a servant. A slave. A bondservant. You get the idea. It's not about us. But notice what it says. Verse 21. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that here's the result, so that in Jesus we, that's you and I, who've received relationship with Jesus, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. For those of you who study Romans with us, you'll remember Romans chapter 3, 21 through 27, where he talks about the diakosune, we become the righteousness of God, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. I was looking at this text, uh, specifically this word righteousness, here in, in chapter 5, verse 21 of 2 Corinthians. And the word picture is where there's no straight sticks, right? We, we all have, as I said, we all have baggage. We all have, we all have something just not right about it. We all have blemishes, right? And the word picture is this, righteousness means God makes us straight. God makes us the way we're intended to be. In other words, instead of Genesis chapter 3, where we're banished from the garden, when we're, when we're excised from the garden and God places that, flaming sword back and forth, right? Where he says there's a, there's a certain amount of consequences for your sin. Instead of that brokenness, that, that bend in your stick, if you will, he makes us right, and it goes all the way back to chapters 1 and chapter 2 where it says it is good, it is very good, and there's nothing you can do other than receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. There's nothing that I can do other than receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In other words, to be straight, to have this relationship that God wanted in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, we have to receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ and not from a distance, not say, hey, that's great. I appreciate Jesus. No, we're not being fans of Jesus. We're being followers of Jesus. We have to associate ourselves with the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Do you understand? That's key. And it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that He made Jesus sin so that we could be victorious. That's huge. Number two, this goes back to the first part of what I just read for you. Let's go all the way back to chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. A couple of verses I'll read pretty quickly. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him no longer this way. So therefore, if, if anyone is in Christ, there's that phrase, if you've, if you've received Jesus Christ, in other words, you're not just a fan, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. If you've associated, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. If you're not just a follower on Sunday, but every day of your life. If you're not just faithful when you need a prayer answered, but every day of your life. If you don't appreciate just God when you when you're struggling, when you're when you're praying about something, but but all the time, right? That's what we're talking about. If you're in Christ, then you are a new creation. You are a new creation. You hear that? This uh, I mentioned to you an Old Testament text that I said we would take a look at. If you're taking notes, make make a note, maybe on your smart device or or write it down to look at it later. The second temple period begins in Isaiah chapter 40, and one of the themes throughout Isaiah, specifically the second temple period, verses, chapter 40 through 66, has to do with hope. The Israelites are they're a hopeless people without God, and they need hope, and so the prophet comes along and, and he's told to give them hope. Well, what, what's their hope found in? Their hope is found in relationship with God, right? And in chapter 43, he says a couple of interesting things about this new creation. I'm going to read a couple of verses for you. Verses 18 and 19 of chapter 43, Isaiah. And notice what the prophet says. He says, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Look, I'm doing a... What? What? He's doing a new thing. Buried with Christ in baptism. A new thing happens when you're risen to walk in a newness of life. Now, that sounds pretty elementary, right? But I wonder how many people, I mean, just play along for a second. I wonder how many people have walked down the aisle, have said some kind of words, prayer, repeat after me, that kind of thing, have gotten the baptism, have gotten wet, and there's no new thing. In other words, we, we, nothing's changed. We, we just go about our business. I'm not saying everything's going to be perfect. We're not, we're not talking about some kind of fable where once they live happily ever after. We're not talking about that because you still have... Those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, you know you still have your struggles, right? We all have our struggles. We all have our imperfections. We all have our blemishes. Praise God for grace, right? We're not talking about perfection. What I'm offering, what I'm suggesting is how many people think just by walking down the aisle, getting in the baptistry, doing what the church says to do, they go about their business and nothing changes. I'm here to tell you it's not because of God that nothing changes, it's because of them. He's done His part. You follow what I'm saying? And if we really understand what happens when we associate ourselves with Jesus Christ, if we really understand this new thing, if we really understand that Risen to walk in a newness of life, our entire identity has changed. Paul would say it's no longer I who live; it's Christ who lives in me. Right? I want you to think about that for a little bit. I want you to chew on that because this new thing, you know, he says, don't think about the old way of life. Get past all that. That that guy's dead. That that person is gone. Right? Now now you're a new creation. Now you're a new creature. All because of Jesus Christ. Now, keep going here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ. And here's point number two. Not only are we the righteousness of God, verse 21, but here it says in verse 18, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself, this is what allows us back into the presence of God. You'll remember in chapter 3 where there's consequences for sin, you will surely die. There will surely be a separation between you and God. When you do your own thing, when you're disobedient, we've we've talked many, many times in here about Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you do this, If you follow My commands, if you're obedient to Me, I will bless you. That's what God says. But about verse 15 or 16 when He says, but if you will not, if you will not adhere to what I say, if you will not be obedient, in fact, if you're disobedient, I will not bless you. The Hebrews understood that to be, I will curse you. There will be a lack of blessing, right? In other words, you have a choice to make. Every time you come to this proverbial fork in the road, Will you choose the way of life or will you choose the way of death? There are consequences for that. Does everybody understand? Right? Well, this idea of brokenness, this idea of struggle, this idea of sin that we all deal with, right? there has to be some kind of getting back to God. There has to be some kind of peace despite the tension. And Paul tells the Corinthian church here the only way to experience that peace is to be reconciled to God. We use words like restoration. Redemption. Reconciliation. To make things right again. This is the Gospel. This is the only way it's possible, right? You can't be good enough. You can't put enough offering money in the plate. You can't go out and serve and serve and serve and serve and serve and work your way into heaven. It's not about that. It's about... Reconciliation, and Paul defines what that reconciliation means when he says, associate yourself with Jesus Christ. That's the only way you can make things right. It's not that perfect, perfect sacrifice. You catch that? He goes on in the latter part of verse 18 to say this. Not only through Christ has He reconciled us to Himself, but catch this. And gave us. Remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the church, right? And gave us. anybody see it. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This this uh, makes me a little uncomfortable. I'm I'm honest with you, right? Um, because I'm not. I'm not the person I should be. Um, and you're not the person you should be. And yet God gives us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, He entrusts us. The Gospel is not just Jesus Christ coming and making sacrifice for the entire world, but now He's entrusting us to be that ministry of reconciliation to those people outside these walls. Pretty amazing, right? I don't know if I would trust myself with anything. And yet God God trusts me. I wonder if we understand that as as church members, as as people of of God, as followers of Jesus Christ. Do we understand our response? This this goes all the way back to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, right? Don't be conformed to the world, be transformed. How so? By the renewing of your mind, you'll understand what I mean. Paul would say, and he goes into this ethical section, of Romans, be reconciled, but not just for your own benefit, but for the benefit of others. In fact, for the benefit of the whole world. I think the default mode is, and I, you can correct me later if you want to, but I think the default mode is is we want to receive Christ as Savior, as I mentioned last week. We just don't want to receive Him as Lord. We want to receive the, the, the gift of, of, of salvation. We, we want to receive everything the gospel entails for us. It's just we don't want to receive this to follow through with our responsibility. And Paul says, you can't have one without the other. If you've been reconciled to God, now you are a full-fledged member of the army of God and you're going to go to the world and you're going to tell them a message and here's the message be reconciled to God be reconciled to God pretty simple right the message is be reconciled to God be, be reconciled how do I become reconciled to God through Jesus through Jesus I meet people all the time that say, well, I don't know how to share my faith. I don't know how, what to tell people. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. The message, as Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, is as simple as be reconciled to God. You want to experience peace? The only way you're going to experience peace is be reconciled to God. Well, how can I be reconciled to God? Through Jesus Christ. That's the only way you're going to experience peace. When you go through struggles, when you have these pains, when you lose loved ones, when you find yourself on the cancer list, when the normal has been changed, if you're reconciled with God, you see things from a different perspective. You follow what I'm saying? Right? So we have this ministry of reconciliation to speak into St. Augustine said that it's not just that we should share Uh, the life of Christ with others, but when necessary, use words. Do you hear what he's saying? Live your life in such a way that people will recognize there's something different about you. And when they ask you what's different about you, then you're able to say, I've been reconciled with Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, to experience peace, be reconciled to Jesus Christ. Number three, Found in verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and here's that word again entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. I don't know about you, but I love job descriptions, and it's not because I have to go bullet point by bullet point and say, here's what I'm responsible for, although I want to know what I'm responsible for. This is your job description. Christian, right? This this is what you're called to do. We oftentimes look at the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 when Jesus calls his closest followers and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, right? You guys know the text. Uh, verses 16 through 20 of Matthew 28. It's the Great Commission, right? We oftentimes think of that way. Go, go, go. And then oftentimes people think, well, that's the preacher's job, or that's the youth minister's job, or that's people that are extroverts, or that's I can assure you I'm not an extrovert unless I get up here and the Spirit speaks, right? That's the only time I this I'm an introvert by nature. So there there are no excuses. When you associate yourself with Jesus Christ, it's not just about receiving, it's about signing up for duty. It's about receiving the job description. Now, not only receive Reconciliation with Jesus Christ. Now go and offer to the world, right? All of you know John 3.16. I I would guess 95, 98, 99, 100% of us know John 3.16. For God so loved, what? The world. Not just a select group of people, not just religious people, not just good people, whatever that means, but the world, Right? that he gave. He showed us what it means to be reconciled to God, but not only be reconciled to God, he also gave us a job description to go and tell people to be reconciled to God. And the the most loving thing I can do for my neighbor, the most loving thing I can do for my friend, the most loving thing I can do for my family members is to tell them, be reconciled to God. Know Jesus. Not beat them over the head with the Bible. That's not what we're talking about. But I'm loving them by telling them the truth. Be re- the reason you don't have peace is you're not reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Do you hear what Paul's saying here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? We'll go further into his letter next week in chapter 6. But I want you to understand it's not just about receiving Jesus Christ as Savior It's about making Him your Lord. That responsibility that I have to share the Gospel with those around me, it doesn't come with, you know, I don't have certain expectations that 100% of people have to be converted. That's not what Paul is saying at all. And that's not reality, right? Not everybody's going to receive this salvation. Not everybody's going to receive this reconciliation. Not everybody's going to understand and yet, the only thing we're called to do is share the message, be reconciled to God, be reconciled to God. Now, if you're not reconciled to God, my responsibility to you today is to say, why would you harden your hearts? Today is the day of salvation. If you've heard from God, whether it's today or yesterday or this past week or any time in your life, why would you not listen and be reconciled to God. Because the only way you're going to experience genuine peace, the only not being religious, not doing all these good things that we've talked about, the only way you're going to experience that peace is to be reconciled to God. That's my prayer for you today. If you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Savior and made Him your Lord, then I pray today is the day. If you have received Jesus as your Savior, and you have yet to make Him your Master, your Lord, then I pray today is the day that you will jump in the deep end and you will walk with Jesus wherever Jesus goes. Maybe it's to your neighbor. Maybe it's to your coworker that you can't get along with. Maybe it's to your family member, whoever it is that God puts in your pathway and says, that's the person that needs to hear the message. And here's your message. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Because God loves you, be reconciled to God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, for your word, um, for Paul's words through the Spirit, I pray that you would help us not only to hear, but to respond um, today, tomorrow, for the rest of our lives. If there's someone here today, God, that has never experienced the love that you have for us, I pray today is the day of peace, of salvation, uh, recognition that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and the only Savior is Jesus Christ. For those of us that are religious, for those of us who have uh, put on masks uh, with people that we know who who are pretty good actors, uh, actresses, um, help us to be authentic. Help us to be genuine. Help us to be transparent. Help us to experience peace by giving up religion and joining you in relationship. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.